You're listening to the Empowered Divorce Podcast, where women support women who have experienced betrayal trauma and abuse and are now facing divorce. Here, you'll learn tools and concepts to help guide your journey from a place of empowerment by trusting yourself and becoming the chooser in your life. I'm your host, Amy Woolsey. Thanks for joining. Hello, amazing women. Welcome today to the Empowered Divorce Podcast. I'm really excited to share this interview with you today. It's one of my favorite parts about this podcast is to give you other women to support you along the way, to relate to some part of her story and feel less alone, feel less crazy, and feel a little bit more empowered to navigate your own journey. Today, I'm interviewing a woman that I have worked with before, and watching her journey has just been incredible. She has truly taken tools and concepts and applied them and practiced them, and it's shown in the results of her life. So I'm excited for you to listen to her, for you to listen to her story. And again, I hope that you get something out of this today for yourself to make some small shift. Remember, it's just one step at a time. And if today you get an idea, a thought, a shift to help you take that next step, that's enough. All right. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Amy, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really wanted to have you as a voice on this podcast specifically because your journey, actually, when we would process things and I would hear parts of your story, you more than almost any of my clients I could relate to specifically around the abuse piece and a lot of our upbringing and the way that we were indoctrinated. And so from very early felt a connection with you and have been amazed and in awe as to how you've navigated this journey so beautifully. The reason why I'm calling this podcast Empowered Divorce and the reason why I'm calling it the Empowered Divorce is because so many women have lost their power. So many women feel like they can't access it, don't know how to access it. And so watching you and your journey tapping into that power, taking control back of your life step-by-step has been just inspiring to say the least. So I've been excited to have you on to talk to the women and to share a little bit about your journey. But again, specifically those steps or new thoughts or concepts that really helped you step into that power, that, that conscious choice. So really quickly, you have, you were married you got married very young, like I did, right? Like 19. I think I even beat you by a month. I was like 18, a month shy from 19. <laughs> we were babies, babies when you got married. And then remind me how long you were married. We were married 16 years. 16 years. Okay. You have a 14 year old, 11, nine, and seven. So four children from that marriage. And then you have been divorced now for how long? We separated about three years ago. Okay. And the divorce has been final for how long now? About a year and a half. Okay. That's right. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. Go ahead and just share a little bit of your journey. Okay. Thank you. That's an overwhelming, huge question, but. (laughs) I know, right? Where do I start? (laughs) Yeah. I met my ex when I was 18 years old and he was six years older than me. 
and we met in college and we both come from a culture that pushes marriage really fast. So I met him in January. We got engaged in April and married in August, three weeks after my 19th birthday. It was a really hard marriage. And a lot of this, I didn't understand while I was living through it. I've been able to see more clearly in the last three years, but my marriage had a lot of emotional and sexual abuse and that sexual abuse started before we got married and then just continued from there. Also in the culture that we come from, I'd been taught that marriage was eternal. And so I thought that I thought I'd made an eternal mistake. And I knew that within a month of getting married, but thought I was stuck and needed to do the best I could to make the best of everything. So, so I did, I jumped in and I read lots of marriage books and I tried a lot of different things and, and we just kept going. Yeah. I bet a lot of women can relate. I know I can. I mean, how many books did we read to try and fix and save the marriage? I I think that's so common. I don't even know how I'd sum up that 16 years. There was just a lot happening and it was really busy and And I was juggling everything. I have been the working spouse in our relationship and worked full-time as an attorney. And my ex had been a stay-at-home parent for the last seven years of our marriage. And, And I was really involved in church and serving at church. And my job was demanding. And we had these four kids. We adopted three of them. So everything was just really busy. And there was a lot of chaos happening, but there wasn't enough time to stop and look at what that chaos was. I want to pause there for a minute because I think that's key. I see that a lot and I can share that experience when things just stay so busy, we don't stop long enough to really recognize the reality of the situation and what's going on, especially like you described when the culture, the religious culture has such a big part in how we view it. I think that was really powerful. What you said, like your marriage was hard, but you didn't really see it that way. You didn't see the destruction and the damage that was happening because of that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but because of that mindset that look, we're in this for the long haul (laughs) and then some. So what I'm hearing is already from the very beginning, a place of disempowerment. I don't have choice. I made the choice to get married and now I don't have choice. Does that kind of feel okay? Yep. I remember a month into my marriage feeling like I made an eternal mistake, but I knew I had made this choice. And so I just needed to live with the consequences. And since it was an eternal decision, I better make the best of this because eternity is a really long time. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I take a deep breath because man, I feel that. So, so you're going along and your story is different. I don't hear this particular set up talked about as much where you were the breadwinner. You were the one working and juggling that experience in the relationship. And he stayed at home. But when we got married, we had agreed my ex would be the provider. Mm. So it felt like actually a really painful piece of betrayal. I went to law school in the beginning of our marriage and we had gone with the plan that law was going to be my hobby. Oh, interesting. The plan was never that I was going to be the provider. 
And when my son was born, it became really apparent that my ex was not going to be able to provide for us. And I spent several years trying to be a stay-at-home mom and just work part-time. And our financial situation deteriorated to the point that it finally made no sense to continue that way. So it was a really painful process to start working full-time. By the time we separated, I'm so grateful that I was working full-time and didn't have that added financial burden that I know so many women have to carry at that point. I thought maybe I should explain a little bit of just the chaos that we were living in. I mean, I I was working full-time, life was really busy with church service, and then my ex was a stay-at-home parent, but he wasn't keeping the house clean. He wasn't helping regularly with kids' homework, so I would come home wiped out and still have these household things. And I grew up with a mom who is an incredible, who was an incredible stay-at-home parent who ran a tight ship, clean house, organized, scheduled. And I was living in utter chaos. And I felt like if someone took a picture of my kitchen, it would be like a scene from an I spy book. I could never get on top of it. And I just remember those years being so exhausting And I became an expert at putting things in boxes. Like I would know like, okay, in the bedroom, there are problems and I feel uncomfortable there. And then I would know like, well, at work I'm doing okay. And I just separated all of these little things. But the problem was I never saw the whole picture. I could just look at these little pieces and know that there were things that made me uncomfortable, but they didn't add up to the full picture of abuse and what I was living in. So our marriage really came to a head when probably the last year of our marriage, uh, my ex became really focused on some other things and his chaos increased. And for the first time in our marriage, I could no longer make up the difference for the chaos, for the increase in chaos he was creating. Hmm. And we started going to marriage counseling Ironically, we started going to marriage counseling because my ex told me that I was a critically toxic person who was ruining his potential. And so we went to marriage counseling and I went with the attitude of fix me. I don't want to be this toxic person. And as we started our counseling, I started learning these things that were life changing for me. One of the key ones being I had the right to be safe in my own bedroom and in my own bed. And when I say that now, it seems like a basic human right. But at the time, it was completely mind bending for me. Like that had never occurred to me. And we started working on rules in our marriage. Our counselor had explained that we were not going to make any progress in our marriage until we had basic safety. And, And my ex would not respect that and really accelerated chaos from there. It led to one of the scariest weeks of my life. And I wasn't allowed to sleep. I didn't know I couldn't sleep regularly. He wouldn't follow the rules from the counselor. It was incredibly unpredictable. And it was starting to impact the kids. I mean, the chaos always impacted the kids. But this particular week was harder. And by the end of the week, I knew I needed a break. I didn't know I needed a divorce or anything like that, but I knew I needed a break and I knew I needed to sleep. And, and it was a Friday and I left work early and picked up 
my son from school. I came home. I tiptoed around the house, packed a bag. My ex was there and he noticed when I got in the car and tried to intercept me. And I left and went to my parents for the weekend. I got the other kids from the bus stop and, and the chaos continued to increase. He was sending me horrific text messages and I hadn't even thought about divorce at that point. But after being at my parents for a weekend, I knew I had to come home and I knew I wasn't safe to come home. And I started praying for some answers. Like, how do I even do this? I don't even know how to do this. And a big part of my journey included completely stripping away my relationship with the Lord and starting over from scratch and really relying on him. And I remember praying and getting a very clear answer here. You need to get divorced. And this is why, and here's all the legal steps you need to take. And this is the protections you need. And this is what, how it will benefit your children. And it was like a light bulb going off. And in that same time period, I really felt God speak to me. And what I heard was, Amy, I know what you've lived through. You don't know it yet. You don't understand it, but you don't have to do this anymore. I release you from this. Mm. And so I, I made the choice at that point to divorce. And I have never second guessed that decision, but it has been really interesting because I didn't know I had been abused. And it was really disorienting because I am an attorney. I worked in family law. That's the area I've worked in. I have done a ton of trainings on domestic violence. I've spent a lot of time helping women who have experienced domestic violence. I, at the time of my separation, I called, I called a shelter to get some safety tips. And the shelter told me, some resources I could look at. I could, I could contact the prosecutor's office. I could reach out to legal aid. I could reach out to women's ministry in my church. And I remember at the time saying to them, but you don't understand. I am a prosecuting attorney. I was the president of the board of legal aid in my community for several years. I am the president of women's ministry in my church. I'm not supposed to be in this situation, but I was. And the last three years have been a slow journey, learning to re-see and understand what my life was. Amy, thank you so much for sharing all of that. I'm really fighting back tears right now. And I really appreciate your vulnerability here. There are so many, okay, I've got so many questions going through my mind. First, I think what's really standing out to me is, again, which is such a powerful part of your story. How many women end up in these situations, these abusive relationships and what you said right there, like, I didn't know. And I didn't know either. Like I knew something was wrong. I knew that things weren't okay. I knew that behavior wasn't okay, but to label it as abuse in all of those different areas, I, like you, you said it so eloquently, just you were putting things in categories, but to look at the relationship as a whole just, it didn't happen. And I see that so much with the women that I work with. And so here you are a prosecuting attorney. You have had all the trainings 
And yet you said, I didn't know. And here's why I just want to pause with that because every woman I've ever worked, met with who experiences this feels like what's wrong with me. I'm stupid, right? We feel shame around not knowing. And I really, again, appreciate you telling your story because this to me, like if I was listening to you and heard what you just said there, I'd be like, oh, I'm not stupid. If someone who was trained in this couldn't see it, then maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe I'm not all the things that we say about ourselves who, who end up in these situations. You had mentioned some earlier, this thought of like, how do I do this? I want to slow it down. I want to back up to that space that you took. How did you get yourself to go to your parents' house and get that space? What was it that got you there? I had hit such a low point. I knew I needed something and I didn't know, I didn't know what else to do. Okay. And I mean, to provide a little more context in that last week, well, we'd been doing the marriage counseling. We'd created these rules to increase my safety and my ex had broken the rules and we had marriage counseling that week and everything escalated. And not only did it escalate like in predictable ways, but it escalated. Like suddenly my ex was telling me that I was having an affair and was creating this huge story. And our counselor had said to sleep in separate bedrooms. And he was coming in the middle of the night telling me that, well, he wasn't going to sleep in other places. He was changing the pictures in our house. He Mm. was doing some really scary things. He took my journal away from me and was yelling at me quite a bit. And I was so exhausted by the end of the week. And the straw that broke the camel's back for me was Friday morning. We'd had marriage counseling Thursday night. It had been horrific. We'd come up with a secondary safety plan. He agreed to it in counseling. He broke that plan within three hours of leaving counseling. It had been a very scary night. Mm -hmm. Friday morning, my youngest was four years old. I had to go to work and I did not feel safe leaving her at home. And I wanted to take her to daycare. We had a daycare we use sometimes and my ex wouldn't let me leave with her. And that was such a scary feeling. And he got her crying and I said, no, we're just going to go to daycare. And she starts, he says something, she starts crying and he's like, no, look, you're messing things up. So I left and went to work and I, it was just, it was all those things colliding, the safety of my children, the complete exhaustion that we've been working with this professional and things are only getting worse. I don't know what to do about like these allegations he's making against me. And that's where I knew I, I was blessed with really good resources. My sister had gotten divorced just like a few months before I went through all of this. And she called a counselor and got some advice. And they suggested that I, that I go somewhere safe for the night. And so that's mostly what got me there was all of that combining. And I was not going to be in a space again, where I felt like my child was unsafe and I didn't have the power to get them to a safe place. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for giving more light on that. Now, at that point, when you had gotten yourself a couple days, some breather, seeing a little bit more of the full picture, 
at that point, what were you most concerned about? Like what were those stuck points for you where you felt fear around where I don't think I can actually go through with this? I went to my parents on Friday. I called my clergy and let him know what was happening. Saturday, my ex was sending me these crazy text messages that included more allegations about things I knew I hadn't done. He asked if we could meet with our bishop on Sunday together, and I agreed to do that. My parents lived two hours away, and my sweet dad drove me down, and the meeting was horrific. It was absolutely horrific. We sat down. Well, before we even got into the meeting, we were sitting in the hallway waiting, and I feel like our marriage is about to collapse. And my ex starts telling me how he's like, you know what it's like to be in the zone where everything's right. Everything's exactly great. And that's where he's at. He's in the zone. And we just need to get through this little speed bump. And like, he's never felt better in his life. He's never felt more on the spot. And it was crazy making. And then we went in to meet with the bishop and sat down. And my ex just immediately list off a whole range of sexual behavior that he wants to talk about. And Mm. it was nuts. And by the end of the meeting with the bishop, the bishop had done a wonderful job explaining how my ex's trust had been eroded and we needed to make this plan to build trust again. And it was a plan that could be executed immediately. And part of that plan was allowing me to stay at my parents a little bit longer and Step one was my ex would stay at the church while I went to my house and packed more of a bag and my ex wouldn't leave the church until I let him know I was done at the house. And I went to the house and I packed the things that I needed. And then I was about to text my ex that he could leave the church. And then I thought, no, this is supposed to be step one, building trust. I'm going to drive by the church and see if he's still there. And he wasn't. He'd already broken this new plan. And at that point, I felt like I can't trust anything. Everything's out of control. And then I think it was the next, I think it was Monday that I made the decision that I needed to divorce. I think you were able to trust yourself in all of this. Do you feel like you were in and out of that? Like I was definitely in and out of that. I completely lost myself in this marriage. And by the end, my self-confidence was decimated. Yeah. So that was an in and out process. But I did feel like I could trust God. So that gave me a good starting point. And I knew something had to change. I knew it had hit a level I could not live with. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing is just that support system the trust that you had with God and the trust at the time with an ecclesiastical leader and parents, you had that support system to help you navigate this. And I think that's a really big piece here that a lot of women shy away from because for, well, lots of reasons, but we don't want people to know we feel shame, whatever we don't reach out. And so I think that's something just to point out and what I'm noticing in your story is that through that particular time, you did have a handful of people that you could trust that you were relying on to help navigate this a little bit. And that seems to have made a difference. Yeah, it definitely did. My ex had really alienated me from my family. So I wasn't sure how much I could rely on them. 
but my parents and siblings showed up in incredible ways for me right from the beginning. My sweet little brother mailed me a pink taser gun. (laughs) Nice. That's so brotherly. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty sweet. And, and that relationship with my family of origin was able to start healing immediately. It was almost as if they had just been there waiting for me. Wow. Wow. That's okay. All right. So then you now we're in this place where you're like, okay, I'm divorce is the next step. Then if you can recall, where did your brain then go to, oh my gosh, wait, maybe I can't. Or if I want to get divorced, but now it's afraid of this and this. Well, I was incredibly lucky. And I think part of this is because I'm an attorney. When Mm -hmm. I said that prayer asking what I should do, and I got my to-do list, the to-do list was like, you need a protection order. You need to be able to go to your home and have him excluded. Mm -hmm. And I knew I already knew from my training, like, here's the best avenues to get a protection order. And I need my kids to be covered by that protection order. And the best way to do that is divorce. So it was a real practical step. So I didn't, and then I'm very task oriented. So once I had that to-do list, then it was easy to just focus in on just getting in there. And I never second guessed my decision from the very beginning. And why not? Cause I, cause so many women will second guess and third guess and fourth guess. What was it you think that kept you from second guessing? When I felt God tell me he knew what I lived through and I didn't, and I didn't have to do it anymore. I felt the truth of that and felt like I could rely on that. And I knew within that first week or two after separation, I remember praying and saying, okay, God, I don't want to look back on my marriage and remember it for worse than it was. But I also don't want to look back and see it as better than it was. And I started journaling and I had memory after memory flood back. And they were horrible. They were all horrible. I had been carrying such a heavy weight for these whole 16 years and I could feel it starting to lift. And it was such a relief that I wasn't turning back, no matter how hard the steps in front of me were. And they were overwhelming. I'd had a stay-at-home parent. For my four children, I had four kids with lots of problems and lots of appointments. And I lost my whole support system in that one weekend. Mm. My ex, I lost that support system, but his family also lived local to us and were our primary support system with the kids. And they were all no longer an option. So just figuring out the scheduling, that was so overwhelming. And there were so many pieces like that, but I just took it back in prayer And God provided for me over and over. I would just say, here's my need. I don't know what to do. And a a name of a person would pop in my head or something would suddenly show up and somehow our needs were met. And I did have to simplify a lot of things. I had to take a couple of my kids out of dance and drop some extracurriculars. But even from the beginning, it felt better than what we'd been living in. Yeah, I think that's so key there how you broke that down. And I think that's a big piece to what keeps women from making that decision is that they're also not willing to let go of some things, to simplify some things. I like how you put it that way, but to let go of some things that they are doing in order to make this work. And it sounds like that was a big piece for you to manage what was now more response, even more responsibility. You had to let some things go and that's hard. It was hard. 
I wanted my kids to have every opportunity. Yeah. But I remember my counselor at the time telling me, your kids need a healthy mom more than they need dance lessons. Yes. And have you seen that play out? Like women who are listening right now who are like, I don't know about that. They're really worried about their kids and what they're going to be missing out on. Have you seen your kids benefit from you being healthier since that point? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's amazing. I can't even describe. I have given them a new vision of what life can be. Before separation, they only had one vision and it was full of emotional abuse It was full of power imbalance. And now they see another option. I love that you said that's what I try to describe to women like, and that's how my counselor put it to me too, is you're now giving your children another way of looking at life, of how to experience life. And I couldn't do that in that relationship um, because I wasn't me and I had lost me. And so what I'm hearing you say is because you made this brave decision and took those steps forward, you got you back, you created a different environment for them. And what it sounds like a completely different mom was now showing up and they get to experience that. They notice that they feel that in their bodies in such a visceral way. So thank you for sharing that along your journey through divorce. What were some other stuck points for you perhaps that you felt like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to get past this. Well, I don't know if this answers it completely, but I feel like there were a lot of stuck points, but I learned several different tools that I was able to rely on. So I took some notes of my tools that I liked. Um, Early on, I was introduced to the concept of a butterfly poster. And the idea is that we take so many steps And we don't take the time to recognize the steps we've already taken. We're just always looking at the mountain that's ahead of us. And so I created this poster. And every time I took a step, I put a butterfly on that poster. And I wrote by that butterfly what it was for. And some of those steps were small things like learning how to use a weed eater. And like figuring out a schedule to read with my kids. Little things. And some of them were really big things like... I met with the guardian ad litem and got through my interview. Yeah. And so I kept that on my wall. And every time I felt discouraged, I could look and see, wait, I've been doing hard things. I can keep doing hard things. Oh my gosh. I love that idea. And I hope women are like, their brains are lighting up. I think that is so powerful, such a powerful concept to recognize the little steps because to your point, yeah, when that mountain is ahead of us. I mean, of course you want to just fall down and collapse and sit in front of it. And for me, what I would do is just like act like a three-year-old and pound my fist and legs and cry and stomp. And I don't want to do this. Don't make me climb up that mountain. But to just put your backpack on, take one step, lace your boots, whatever that next step is to climb that mountain. I love that. And putting the sticker down honored for me that I had taken a step that I was recognizing this was hard and it's okay. And look, I can put this sticker up and celebrate that I did this. Yeah. And there were even stickers for things like my first Thanksgiving without my kids. I love that. Any other tools that, or maybe shift in thoughts that helped you navigate your journey? 
Yes. Another huge tool for me has been the feel wheel. And you taught me about the feel wheel and taking the time to really pay attention to my body and what's happening in my body and what, how feelings express themselves. And then learning that no feeling is wrong, that all feelings are here for a purpose and learning to honor that and learning to accept that life is uncomfortable sometimes. And that doesn't mean anything went wrong. It's just part of the process. And so I know with the feel wheel, you'd have me identify what my feelings were and then visualize them. And I used art to draw my feelings. And that was really helpful. Like I would draw. If- Which you are an amazing <laughs> artist. People need to know this about you. You would, I, I remember giving you that assignment, like, okay, here's something we can practice and just, just draw it out. Now my drawings are stick figures. <laughs> Seriously stick people when I would draw something. And I remember you came back that next session with this like amazing drawing. Like it brought me to tears, like to tears. <laughs> it was so in anyways. Yeah. You are amazingly gifted, but yeah, I noticed that when you tapped into that talent and started to give a visual to those emotions, those parts of you and what they, those parts were experiencing, that was a shift for you. Yeah. And I should explain for your listeners too, when I'm drawing my feelings, I'm visualizing a person, Mm -hmm. a persona. Are they tall, short, old, young, haggard? This is, (laughs) did a little part Yeah. Yeah. And I still do a lot of field work when I'm having a hard time, but Mm -hmm. I finally learned that when I'm triggered or caught off guard by my emotions, it's okay. I don't need to be scared by it or shut down by it. I can get curious and, and I can push into this and I can handle it. And I'd imagine that was really helpful when you're navigating something like this, where so many big emotions are going to come up that when you could recognize them, that they aren't dangerous, doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. That could help you access that power, stay in with what you have control over and take that next step forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a huge tool to tapping into my power. Our bodies are so powerful and I had no idea. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. So that's been a huge one. And then the other big thought shift for me is learning to have self-compassion for the things I didn't see when I was living through them. Mm. I spent a lot of time after separation feeling guilt and shame that I didn't see this. Like I never meant to bring children into a home that had these characteristics and that had domestic violence and that had emotional abuse. And when I say domestic violence, it was emotional abuse. There wasn't physical abuse happening. So learning to have compassion for that and compassion for my younger self too. Like my 18 year old self who chose to marry this man who had no idea what I was doing and was trying my very best. That's been a huge thought shift. Yeah, for sure. I love that. So now where are you at in your healing journey right now? I I'm thriving and I can't believe it. (laughs) Tell me what thriving. I love it. Tell me what does thriving look? I feel so happy. And it's like the future is this big wide open canvas and there's so many possibilities and I am safe in my own home. And uh, I always pick a theme for the year and the year I 
separated, that first year of separation, my theme was I am safe. And that's what I focused on. Like, we're going to make things safe. I remember just reveling in the feeling of being safe in my own bed at night and how good that felt every night to climb into my bed and know I'm going to sleep through this night and nobody's going to bother me. And so that was that first year theme. And then the second year theme was I am healing. And that felt really good. And I was working with you as a life coach. I was working with my counselor. I was gaining so much insight and there were still lots of hard things happening. And then this year I've picked the theme, I am thriving. And when I think about that, it's, I mean, it's been exemplified in some of the experiences I've been able to have. I took my son on a weekend trip, just the two of us. We tried snowboarding, like we went snowmobiling and we were up on this mountain. And I just remember thinking like, I can't believe this is my life. And then on top of that, I had the most incredible unexpected surprise. This man fell into my life who is wonderful and healthy and respectful. And I didn't think I would ever date again. My life single was so much better than my life married. I didn't ever want to mess that up. And in January, my coworker set me up with her brother and a lot of miraculous things happened for me to be ready for that, to put it into perspective, like I met, I met this man in January and in the fall, I had been walking with a friend and we, we walked to the lake a lot together and we saw a marriage proposal. I had a trauma trigger and about fell apart. And I just, over the next three months, had some groundwork done and I went on a special trip with my bonus mom and she, while we were on our trip, she had me practice looking men in the eye and talking to them. Cause even that was more than I could do. And at the end of our trip, she challenged me to try to be friends with a man. And a week after my trip, I had a session with you and we processed this in life coaching. And I got to work that day and my coworker asked if she could give my number to her brother. And because of all that groundwork that was done, I said, okay. And, and we hit it off. We hit it off really well. Um, the first time we met in person, I told him he couldn't touch me at all. Like, don't hug me. I won't shake your hand, nothing. And he honored and protected my no. And I never had a man do that before. And there's been so much healing that has happened. And I feel like I've leveled up in life. Like when you're playing Mario and you go up a level, yes. <laughs> I didn't know this level existed. <laughs> I know, right? It's amazing. It is so amazing. I love so engaged to this man and marrying him in 15 Saturdays. And, <laughs> and I'm so excited. So amazing. I love that you have done incredible work. And I know that you've left out a lot of things that you have done to prepare yourself and to work through very difficult triggers along the way, create new boundaries along the way. And as you have trusted your body for that safety to constantly be checking in with yourself around that safety as an out, as a, as an outsider, someone watching, I have seen you align with that. You have stayed true to that. And I think that's a really important piece to the thriving is to stay aligned with your own boundaries for yourself. I know that you worked on having boundaries for yourself and honoring those so that you could create boundaries and honor those and hold those consequences with other people. So lots of steps 
to get you to this place of thriving, which is beautiful to see. But I know who I am now and I know what my core values are and I trust myself. And those are all things I haven't been able to say most of my adult life. Yeah, It's been so powerful. And as we were getting closer to becoming engaged, I have been thinking and doing some work around what's different this time. Because I don't want to make the same mistakes that I made last time. And I'm so different. And I know what my rights are. And I know that I will never live in an abusive relationship again. And I hope this is my only marriage for the rest of my life, this new marriage that's coming. But I also know that if certain lines are crossed, I'm not going to stay. And that feels really powerful too. Well, in full circle here is that you, in your first marriage, you went in and it was, I'm getting married and oh, there's no way out. Oh crap. (laughs) I got to figure out how to make this work because there is no other option versus what you're saying right now, which is. I'm getting married and I always have options. And that is a place of empowerment. Yeah. I love it. I remember telling my mom the same thing. I I remember saying, well, mom, if it happens again, then that's just called life sucks, but I will be okay. (laughs) Yeah. You just get to that place where you really do believe in yourself. So that would be, I, that's my last question for you is because I always end the podcast with just, you are enough. You are infinitely lovable and of worth and value. And that's so important for me to give that message because I did not believe that in myself either. So what was that? And I know there's tiny little shifts along the way, but is there something that really made that shift for you to believe that you are enough? Oh, there's been so many steps. I feel like I crawled up that mountain. The one that sticks out to me the most within the last year is the realization that God loves me just the way that I am. And I don't have to do a single thing to earn that. No more point system, huh? No more point system. (laughs) No more good and bad tallies. No more hustling. I love it. I am enough because he is enough. Oh, that's just a perfect place to, to wrap up today. Thank you so much for your vulnerability. I know that was, this is a gift for me, for you to be on here and share your story. So thank you, Amy. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Hopefully those of you who are listening felt just as edified as I did during that interview. Thank you again, Amy, for joining me and the conversation today. And as a reminder, again, I mean, how she ended it was perfect, but please remember you are enough You are of worth and value just as you are, no matter what. All right, everyone, take care. Thank you for being with me today. And remember that you are the chooser in your life and have the power to create the life you want one step at a time. Take care, everybody.